everybody. Have a seat. Good morning, Gospel City. My name is Mitch. It's a privilege to be one of your pastors. Open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. While you do, I'm going to light our Advent candle. We've been in this passage for four weeks now, going through the different names that have are prophesied they're going to be given to this coming king. And today we're going to focus on the fourth name, the Prince of Peace. We're going to consider how Jesus, our King, is our Prince of Peace. Now as we think about peace, it it could go without saying that our world is desperate for peace. Our world is desperate for peace. But here here are some stats to kind of help us see just how desperate we really are. The United States has been a nation for 246 years. We've been at war for 228 of them. In the 20th century alone, 108 million people were killed in wars worldwide. There are dozens and dozens of wars happening right now as we speak. The world is desperate for peace between nations. We're also desperate for relational peace, for peace with one another. Last year, almost two and a half million American couples got divorced. That's an average of 6,646 divorces per day. We're desperate for peace with one another. We're also desperate for peace with our, within. We're desperate for emotional peace, for psychological peace. In the year 2019, Americans spent a total of $225 billion on mental health care. And that number has probably just gone up since COVID. So we could go on and on, but the point is clear. Our world is desperate for peace. Peace with each other, peace with ourselves, and ultimately, peace with God. And I know it's, it's not just the world out there. I don't know your story. I don't know what struggle you brought with you this morning, what, what battle you're fighting, what you are desperately wanting peace from. But I do know that you live in the world out there. And so I know you've come into this, into this room desperate for peace. With that in mind, hear the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 6, we're going to go through verse 7. <clears throat> For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end." And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of angel armies will do this. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you would help us to be still and know that you are God. And know that you will exalt your name among the nations. And Lord, we thank you for this passage that reveals to us your plan for how you are going to exalt your name among the nations. For this promised child, for this promised king, who will be worthy of the name 
Prince of Peace. So Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts be still this morning. I pray that you would help our hearts be attentive. I pray that you would help us to hear the word and it would not just go in our ears, but that it would go through our ears to our hearts and that we would behold our King in his beauty and that we would long for him to come and long for him to come again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so the the big idea for this morning is that peace has been promised, purchased, and made possible through Jesus, our Prince of Peace. So first, let's consider the peace that has been promised. Like I said, we've been in this passage in Isaiah 9 for the last four weeks, but today we're going to kind of try to put it all together. So this this is a prophecy about a king and his kingdom. Verse 6 is is about the king that is coming, and verse verse 7 is about the, the, the kingdom that this king will reign over. So first, let's, let's consider what this passage says about the promised king. We've already seen that this king will be a wonderful counselor. He's going to rule with supernatural wisdom. We've already seen that he will be worthy of the name Mighty God, meaning he will not just have the strength of a man, he will have divine strength to rule and protect his people. His, his name will be Everlasting Father. As, uh, he won't just be a, a brutal dictator with strength and wisdom. He will, he will rule his people with a, a fatherly care. And it won't just be for a season. It will be everlasting fatherly care. And this passage also promises that he will be a king of peace. Now the word translated peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom. And shalom is a pretty great word. Tur- turn to your neighbor and say, shalom. See, it's a, it's, pretty wor- it's a pretty fun word to say. It also has a great meaning, because w- when we use the word peace in English, we're, we're really kind of just referring to some- the absence of something bad, you know, the absence of war, the absence of turmoil, the absence of stress. But the word shalom has a much fuller meaning. It's not just referring to the absence of something bad, it's referring to the the presence of something good. So Tim Keller defines it this way. Shalom is multidimensional, complete well-being. Physical well-being, psychological well-being, social well-being, and spiritual well-being. And it flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, within oneself, and with others. That is shalom. So when Isaiah calls this king a prince of peace, he's not just talking about a king who's going to come and avoid war. He is talking about, this is is a promise that a king is coming who will be in perfect relationship with God and man. He will embody physical and spiritual and emotional and relational shalom. Shalom. He will be shalom incarnate. One commentator says that of the four names, the the Prince of Peace is is kind of the climactic name. It's all leading to this. And and if you think about it, the fact that this king will be a wonderful counselor, the fact that he will have supernatural wisdom, the fact that he will rule with everlasting care, all of those things, it it makes it possible for him to be this ruler who is in perfect relationship with God and man. This is the king who has been promised. And can we just consider how desperate our world is for a king like this? I'm just just consider all the kings through the history of of Israel. 
went wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. Israel was desperate for this type of king. But not just Israel, the whole world. I mean, consider some of the wicked rulers throughout the history of the world. Consider just how far short our rulers fall. The reason this world gets so fired up about politics is because we know we were created to be ruled by this type of king. So students, just, just think about how you, you get fired up when a, a coach or a, or a teacher is, is doing something where you, where you perceive that it's unfair. I mean, there's, there's a sense of injustice in us that rises up because we were created to be ruled by this type of king. Think about how upset we get when our bosses or our politicians are not like this king. We were created, whether we're, we're conscious of it or not, we long to be ruled by this type of king. And this passage is a promise that this type of king is coming. So verse six promises that a king of peace is coming. Verse seven tells us that the king of peace is bringing with him a kingdom of peace. So this world, I mean, it's had lots of kingdoms, lots of kings, but every ruler's sovereignty is limited by the borders of its nation. So if you think about the kings and queens of England, they don't have jurisdiction in France or Germany or Spain. Their, their sovereignty, their dominion, as powerful as they are, it's, it's limited to the borders of England. But notice what it says about the kingdom of this king. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So that word increase, it, it refers to the expanse of the dominion of this kingdom. And, and notice what it says. It will be of no end. So that means that every square inch of the universe will be under the sovereign reign of this king. There will not be one square inch of the universe that is not part of the kingdom of this king. Amen. And notice the word peace. Every kingdom in the history of the world has been populated by rebels. <laughs> rebels against God, rebels against each other. I mean, this is, this is why we need the police. But not this kingdom. Every square inch of this kingdom will be shalom. Every square inch. Every person, every animal, every atom will be in right relationship with God, right relationship with each other, and right relationship with themselves. This will be a kingdom of universal shalom. Now that sounds really good, but here's, the news gets even better, because this is not just for a season. Every dynasty in the history of the world falls. Every dynasty crumbles. Egypt fell, Babylon fell, Greece fell, Rome, as powerful as it was, fell. The United States will be a footnote in the history of eternity, as powerful as we think we are. But notice verse 7, this kingdom will be a kingdom of shalom, this time forth and forevermore. That is to say, this kingdom of shalom will be universal and eternal. It will be shalom that never ends. And this is the kingdom that has been promised. This is the kingdom that is coming. Now, the promise of a king of peace, reigning over a universal and eternal kingdom of peace. I mean, this is glorious. 
But there's a problem. Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23 adds that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, every single one of us is born into this world, rebels against God, and at enmity with one another. We're not peacemakers, we're chaos creators. So here's why that's a problem. Apart from grace, you and I would never ever be welcomed into this type of kingdom. If we were, we would mess it up. Imagine if you gathered your kids around the dinner table and you're, you're telling them about the, just how amazing Disney World is. You're telling them about Space Mountain, you're telling them about Thunder Mountain, you're telling them about Epcot, you're telling them about Mickey Mouse. And at just when you get your kids super excited, you're like, sorry kids, can't afford it, we'll never go. <laughs> to your kids, Disney World is only good news if they can go. Same thing with this kingdom. So this prophecy should leave us wondering, how could we as sinners ever hope to enter a kingdom of universal shalom? How could we as sinners ever be brought into right relationship with God and man forever and ever? With that question in mind, flip over quickly to Isaiah 53. So Isaiah 9 promises that a king of peace is coming and that a kingdom of peace is coming. And Isaiah 53 promises that a way to have peace with God is coming. So Isaiah 53 is a prophecy that we usually read on Good Friday, not Christmas. But as we'll see, they are very related. So I'm gonna read verse four and five. Hear the word. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us shalom. And with his wounds we are healed. All right, so there's, there's two subjects in this passage. There's the suffering servant, and then there's the we, or the, or the our, or the, the us. As for us, we have Greece, we have sorrows, we have transgressions, and we have iniquities. That explains every person who's ever lived. So if shalom is peace with God, peace with others, and peace within, then griefs, sorrows, transgressions, and iniquities is the complete opposite of shalom in every direction. But, there is hope. Look at what the suffering servant does for us. The suffering servant bears our griefs. He carries our sorrows. He is pierced for our transgressions and he is crushed for our iniquities. And consider the result. Through his chastisement, we can have peace. We can have shalom. So this is a passage. This passage is a promise that shalom with God, shalom with others, and, and even shalom within our own hearts is possible. And it will be possible through this suffering servant, through the death of this, the, through the substitutionary atoning death of, of a suffering servant. So Isaiah 9 promises a kingdom of peace who will be reigned over 
by a king of peace without end. And Isaiah 53 promises that there is a way for us as sinners to have peace with God and therefore be welcomed into a kingdom of everlasting peace. This is the peace that has been promised. But there's a few questions that we need to resolve. So first of all, do you think these prophecies are talking about the same person? I mean, Isaiah 9 is, is talking about a king who will reign forever and ever. But Isaiah 53 is talking about a Messiah who's going to come and die. Well, that, that doesn't add up. How can, how can you reign forever and ever if you're dead? So, I mean, think about what Isaiah would have been searching and inquiring. Think about the original readers. They would have been asking, is, who is Isaiah 53 talking about? Is this, a, is this talking about two different messiahs? How could this be the same person? Second question we should ask, are we sure that Isaiah 9 is talking about Jesus? Because Isaiah 9 promises that when this king comes, a kingdom of everlasting universal shalom will come with him. Well, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And World War I and World War II don't exactly qualify as universal shalom. So what happened? Did, did only half of the prophecy be fulfilled? How is this prophecy talking about Jesus if there isn't universal shalom? Now don't worry, the, the New Testament is abundantly clear that both of these prophecies are talking about Jesus. And so here's how we answer those questions. Here's the New Testament answer to these questions that the Jews did not anticipate. This is not talking about two different messiahs. There is one messiah, but two advents. One messiah, two advents. The first advent has already happened. We call it Christmas. This is when the child was given. This was when the son was born. He came but not yet to bring the kingdom of universal shalom. He first came to make a way for his people to enter the kingdom. He first came as a suffering servant to die on a cross. But he rose again so that whoever has faith in him will be able to reign with him in his kingdom of everlasting shalom forever and ever when he returns again. So those who have faith that Christ came those who have faith that Christ died on the cross and that he, his substitutionary death is the only way that we can have peace with God and we have repented of all other things that we put our hope in to gain peace, peace from this world, peace within ourselves, peace from God. If we repent from all those things and put our trust in Christ and Christ alone, then we are anxiously waiting for him to come again and to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So this means that Isaiah 9 is, is a prophecy about both Advents. It's a prophecy about the child who will be given, the son who will be born. That's happened. But it's also a prophecy about the kingdom that is still to come, that Christ will usher in during his second Advent. So this is the peace that has been promised. This is the peace that has been promised. Now let's go over to the New Testament, turn to Luke chapter 1 verse 31, and we're gonna see, we're gonna consider the first advent and how Christ purchased the peace that was promised. How Christ made a way for us to enter the kingdom of universal shalom. So as we, as we just saw, the, the Old Testament promises a king of peace who will reign over a kingdom of peace forever and ever. 
and it promises a way for us to have peace with God. The New Testament shows that Jesus fulfills all three of these promises. So we're gonna walk through those promises and see how he is the fulfillment. So Luke, 30, or Luke chapter one, verses 31 through 33, this is a, this is a really famous Christmas passage. This is a passage that, where the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary and tells her, the virgin, that she's gonna have a son. Well, this passage is read a lot at Christmas concerts and at Christmas Eve service, services. But what we might not know is that when the angel Gabriel makes his announcement to Mary, he's essentially quoting Isaiah 9 and applying it to Jesus. So I'm gonna read it and listen for the echoes of Isaiah 9. Listen for this announcement from the angel that the promised king of Shalom has come. So here's what he says. Behold, you, Mary, will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So do you hear all the echoes of Isaiah 9? Jesus is the son that is to be given. He's given to a virgin. That's the definition of being given. Jesus, being the son of the most high God, is the one worthy of the name Mighty God. He's the child worthy of the name Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the promised king who will sit on the throne of his father David forever and ever. And Jesus is the king who will have a kingdom that will never end. So that means that the child that was born in a manger 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, he is the promised king. He is the prince of peace. The, Mas- the Messiah that we have all been waiting for has come. So Jesus is the promised king of peace. He's also the one ushering in the promised kingdom of peace. So the reality is that this world has not known shalom since the garden. Since the garden of Eden. Tim Keller says that sin is the fountain from which all shalom is lost. So ever since sin came into the world, physical shalom has been lost. We have diseases, illnesses, chronic pain. We have pain in childbirth. We have pain in in getting older. We even have death. Loved ones die. Family members die. Even babies die. All because physical shalom has been lost. It doesn't stop there. Relational shalom has been lost as well. I mean, friends sometimes become enemies. Families get ripped apart from divorce. Nations war against nations. There's racism and hatred and murder, all because relational shalom has been lost. Doesn't stop there, emotional shalom has been lost as well. People get anxious and depressed. People get sad and angry. People even turn to cutting 
or drugs or alcohol or, or even suicide, all because of the, the psychological and emotional turmoil that they, they just can't escape, all because emotional shalom has been lost. And all of this flows from spiritual shalom being lost, the spiritual shalom that was lost at the fall. When the devil is the god of this world, there are hordes of demons wreaking havoc. Every person who has ever lived has joined the rebellion against God and his Christ. So this this world is full of people who are are not at peace with God. They're not at peace with each other. And they, they don't even have peace with themselves. This is all due to the spiritual shalom that was lost at the fall. But here's the good news. It's not just the king who has come. Jesus is bringing with him the kingdom of everlasting and universal shalom. So Mark 1.14 says it this way. Jesus, this is the announcement of Jesus saying, I'm here. This is how he says it. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So remember that kingdom in Isaiah 9 that's promised, the kingdom of everlasting and universal shalom? Jesus is saying, I'm that king and I'm bringing that kingdom and it's here. Now, it hasn't fully come, but as we look at the ministry of Jesus, as we look at his three-year ministry on this earth, what he is doing is he is giving us a preview of what the kingdom is going to be like. His, his miracles, his, the exorcisms, his teachings, they're not, they're not random. They're all connected to what he's doing and showing the kingdom that he is bringing. So, Jesus helps the blind see and the lame leap and the sick be healed. He raises the dead, he calms the storms, he feeds the 5,000. Why? Because he has come to restore physical shalom. In his kingdom, there will be no more disease, no more hunger, no more death. There will be universal and everlasting physical shalom. Jesus came teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom. He made disciples teaching them how to love God and love others. Why? Because he has come to restore relational shalom. In his kingdom, there will be no more divorce, no more fighting, no more enemies. There will be universal relational shalom. Just think about the demons that Jesus cast out. This, this was not random. He cast out a lot of demons with, by merely speaking, just, just a word. And the purpose was to show that in his kingdom, there will be no demonic oppression. There will be no spiritual warfare. Jesus cast out demons. He defeated the devil at the cross. He paid for sin because in his kingdom, he is restoring spiritual shalom. The shalom that was, has been lost ever since the fall. He is bringing a kingdom of everlasting and universal shalom. So as we consider Jesus' ministry, we see that he didn't just come to pay for our sins. He came to completely remove the effects of our sin. This is the salvation that he brings. 
For in his kingdom, there will be no diseases, no demons, no death, no divorce, no disobedience. Can anyone think of more words that start with D? (laughs) This will be a kingdom of everlasting and universal shalom. So, the New Testament helps us see that Jesus is the promised king, bringing the promised kingdom of peace. But, of course, it, it all climaxes at the cross because the purpose of the first advent was so that we, as a people of God, could have peace with God and therefore enter this kingdom with our Christ of everlasting shalom. So, I mean, there are just so many verses to help support this, but just consider Luke 2.14. This is, this is how the angels announced the birth of Christ to the world. They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. So this is a summary statement for the purpose of the first advent. Glory to God and peace to men. That's why Christ came. So this, this is why the first words out of Jesus' Jesus's mouth after the resurrection, I mean, just think about his disciples. They, they just betrayed him. They just, they, the, the men he's poured three years into, his best friends, they betrayed him. And they, they left him to be crucified. And he shows up to his disciples after he rises from the dead. And the first words to those people who just betrayed him are peace. Peace to you. And then the, his next few appearances in John, I mean, it's peace. peace. That is the reason why Christ died, so that we may have peace, peace with God. And the peace with God flows into peace of all areas of life. This is why Colossians 1 adds, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you think about every ruler with a dynasty in the history of the world, they have come and they have conquered. They have attained their kingdom through war, not through peace. And yet our Messiah, our Christ, is so amazing that he has reconciled all things to himself. He has gained himself a kingdom of univ- a kingdom that will not end, not through war, but by peace. Not by killing others, but by laying his life down on the cross so that we could have peace. This is our Christ who has come. Romans 5 adds, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what in this world causes you stress or fear or worry or anxiety, but the most terrifying thing in the world that makes everything else nothing in comparison is to have God view us as his enemy. And yet, no matter what you're facing today, the good news is that if you have been justified by faith, you can have peace with God. (laughs) That is the best news in all the world. So, if we're putting all this together, the purpose of Christmas is Good Friday. The, the, the Messiah came to die. He came to die and then rise again so that we could have peace. And yet he is coming again. Not this time, not as a suffering servant. This time he is coming as a roaring lion. 
He's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a white horse. He's coming as a lion of Judah, coming to crush those who are still in rebellion against him and coming to save those who are eagerly waiting for him and coming to usher in this kingdom of universal and everlasting peace. So this is the peace that has been promised and through Christmas and the first advent of our Christ, this is the peace that has been purchased. But to close, let's, let's consider the, the peace that has been made possible for us today. So one more turn, last one, turn to Colossians 3.15. So throughout this message, we've, we've talked a lot about the peace that was promised way in the past and then the, the peace that is coming in the future. But the good news for the Christian is that peace is possible for us today. So I want us to end by considering the, the peace that is possible because of Christ today for those who are in Christ. Now to be clear, I mean, until Christ returns, there, there will still be disease, there will still be death, there will still be demonic oppression. The devil will still be wreaking havoc. But for the Christian, peace in our hearts is possible today. So I want to give you four practical ways to have shalom in your heart as we await the second coming of our Prince of Shalom. So first one, let Christ rule your heart. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So this, notice a few things about this verse. First, notice that the peace of Christ, I mean, this is not talking about the future. Paul is talking today, to the Colossians today. The peace of Christ can rule in your hearts today. And notice, this is a very specific type of peace. This is the peace of Christ. The world doesn't know this peace. You can only have the peace of Christ in your heart if Christ is in your heart. And this is a peace that surpasses understanding. And Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was crucified, he said, my peace I leave with you. Just about every single one of those people that he said that to were murdered for the faith. So this peace is not the, this is a peace that surpasses understanding. This is not the peace the world's looking for. Also notice that Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So it's almost like he was thinking about this passage from Isaiah 9, talking about this ruler of peace. There seems to be a connection between who you submit to as Lord and peace. Christ is, he's not just a vending machine where we press some buttons and out comes his peace. We need to submit to him as the prince, as king. Let him rule our hearts and his peace will follow. I'm not saying that all worry, all fear, all anxiety is the result of personal sin. But oh, how much worry and anxiety we would save ourselves if we completely surrendered to the rule of Christ. Sin is the fountain from which all shalom is lost. So let Christ rule in your heart and his peace will follow. So let Christ rule your heart to be thankful to Christ in your heart. 
Paul continues in Colossians 3 by saying, be thankful. And he mentions thankfulness like three times if you keep reading it. Be thankful. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the question is, how can the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Well, a great way to start is to be thankful to Christ in our heart. Think, think about it this way. Think about what in this world brings you stress. What in this world is threatening shalom for you? And think about Christ, the Prince of Shalom who has come. And because of what he did for you on the cross, he is ushering in a kingdom of universal shalom. So whatever is causing you fear or anxiety today is, is really just an opportunity for you to think about what Christ has done and, and how he is saving you from that. And then your anxiety or your fear, if, as you turn to gratitude, it will actually be an opportunity for worship because you're worshiping Christ who has saved you from all of the effects of sin, including whatever you're worried about. Number three, we need to get the word of Christ in our heart. So Paul goes on to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. These are not unrelated phrases. These are all going towards the same direction. So we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Because the word of God is our, is our spiritual food. And if we're spiritually malnourished, then of course we're going to be spiritually vulnerable to things like fear, worry, and anxiety. So the best way for the peace of Christ to rule in your heart is by the word of Christ dwelling richly in your heart. Because if the word of Christ has the power to create the universe and raise the dead, certainly it has power to create peace in your heart. So Christian, are you... Are you daily feasting on the word of Christ? Not just a, a few minutes a day on a, a Bible app. Are you opening your Bible? Are you studying your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Are you memorizing large portions of the word of Christ? I know in my life personally, there's nothing that has helped me fight fear and anxiety more than memorizing scripture. Memorize Psalm 23. Memorize Isaiah 53. Memorize Romans 8. Colossians, I mean, these are, those are good passages to start before, but what, the, let the word of Christ dwell in your heart. And then when, it, when you are facing the things of this world, this world, repeat the word of Christ to your heart. And as the word of Christ fills your heart, the peace of Christ will fill your heart. And lastly, we need to to sing the word of Christ from the bottom of our hearts. As Paul goes on to say, and he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it's one thing to read the word, but music, the way God has designed us, music and poetry has a way of taking information from our heads to our hearts and delivering it in a way that just simply reading it sometimes isn't as effective. And so as you're reading the word, sing the word and, the word, and that the music will help deliver the word to your heart. So whenever my wife and I are stressed, we have a hard day the next day or something, one thing we love to do is we, we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We, we sing that to each other and 
when we do, it, the, the, whatever we're stressed about tends to, <laughs> to melt away. And as our eyes turn to Christ and we think about him, our Prince of Peace, his peace fills our hearts so that we can long for him to return while he will deliver us into a kingdom of everlasting peace. So let's stand. That's, that's how we're going to close the service. We're going to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and we're going to practice turning our eyes to the King of peace so that his peace will fill our hearts as we long for him to bring us into his kingdom of everlasting peace. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that he is worthy of the name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Lord, we thank you that he is bringing with him a kingdom of everlasting shalom. And Lord, we thank you that he has come to die on the cross and rise again so that we who believe in him can have peace with you and can reign with Christ in this kingdom forever and ever. Lord, I pray for each one of us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus as we wait for him to call us home. Amen.